Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Anissa Orsino is a seven-year breast cancer survivor, homeschooling mom of two boys, and bucket list crusher. She's on a mission to help fellow moms and sister survivors live with intention and create lives that they love. Anissa, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Take us back to the beginning of your cancer journey. Okay, so I um, discovered my breast cancer actually when I was pregnant. Um, I was, I think, about 33 weeks when I first noticed the lump. I was in the shower, just kind of soaping up like you do, and um, noticed a lump there. And uh, didn't really think a whole lot of it, to be honest, because for me, Breast cancer was absolutely the furthest thing from my mind. Uh, I was very rigid about um, the way that I lived my life. And uh, basically, if I heard it caused cancer, I did not do it. And so, uh, you know, I didn't use deodorant that had aluminum in it. I didn't use my microwave. I didn't um, store my food in plastic containers. I didn't eat meat. I made my own cleaning products out of, you know, vinegar and baking soda that kind of stuff. I, I just, I felt like I had inoculated myself against, uh, against cancer. So, so I want to ask you about that okay. really quickly, <laughs> because, because as I mentioned before, before I hit record, I couldn't live without my microwave. I mean, I just been eating. So, so where do you think though that rigidity came from? I'm very, very interested. I don't know. I think I'm sort of a type A personality anyway. Kind of my whole life, I had this idea that you could sort of get an A in life. <laughs> like there was a way to live it and a way not to. I, I was very committed to being um, healthy, uh, whatever that meant. And uh, like I said, just if, if I heard it was bad for you, I didn't do it. Yeah, so I noticed the lump. I always say, you know, as much as it was terrible, um, discovering it during pregnancy. Thank goodness I did, because I think I was so convinced I didn't have breast cancer. I wouldn't have made a special doctor's appointment for it. But I was at the point in my pregnancy where you're going to the doctor, um, you know, once a week or something. So uh, I went to one appointment, um, mentioned to the doctor I'd noticed a lump, said I thought it was nothing, and she agreed with me that it was probably just natural changes that you had in your breasts during um, pregnancy. And the next doctor's appointment was my 34-week appointment. The doctor was walking out of the room. I mean, he was half out the door. And I remember just saying, would you just come back and feel this lump? I'm sure it's nothing, but um, you know, I, I would feel better if somebody else felt it besides me. And he did and uh, said, you know, I'm not sure this is nothing. Um, I'm gonna send you uh, to get it looked at. There was a, an office right downstairs in the same building that did breast ultrasounds. So they did one that day. They actually ended up doing the biopsy that day. And then I think that was Wednesday or Thursday and I ended up having to wait over the weekend. Sunday was Mother's Day. And then Monday I did get the diagnosis that it was indeed cancer. 
Oh my goodness. You know, I always say that the speed at which the healthcare system moves or doctors move is directly related to how concerned they are about yes, X, Y, I have Z, said that especially cancer. I've said that yes. so many times to my friends when they say, and they can't get me in until, you know, two months from now. And I'm like, that is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that means, means it's not that bad. Yeah. If they're not worried, you in, if, if they're worried, you'll be in tomorrow. So when they, he sent you for an ultrasound immediately. Yeah. No warning bells went off in your head. No, you still thought it was nothing. I don't know. I think at that point I started to get nervous. Um, that, you know, it, it was weird that they moved that fast. Um, and yeah, then my husband and I always talk about when they brought us in to tell us that it was cancer. Well, first of all, you knew it probably wasn't good if they were making you come in, but the room they put us in, but you know, it was like you, your heart sank because you knew as soon as you walked into this little room and it had this, you know terrible like music sort of soothing music and you know the landscape on the wall and the table with the tissues and the comfy couch and my husband said afterward he said I knew as soon as we saw that like this is the room that they made to tell you that you have cancer it wasn't a mystery anymore once we saw it and I've been in that situation as a caregiver and it's almost the opposite of comforting yes yeah, the room we were in was blue walls and pastel prints, landscapes. Yeah, boxes of Kleenex, um, TV <laughs> stand. You know, which you know they could explain things if they needed to put something in. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's not comforting. No, at all. I always thought like I wished every place you went had this like awful calm annoying music and I just I remember being so angry that I thought like I want to hear a rage against the machine or something (laughs) (laughs) this should not be I shouldn't have to listen to this terrible music when this is going on I need fight music oh I love that um okay so you're pregnant and what is the plan now because you know, do you delay treatment? Do you, what happens? So they ended up deciding that I was close enough to my due date that uh, they wanted to go ahead and wait until after uh, my son was born to start treatment. Um, But when I went to see my oncologist, I said, well, if I wasn't pregnant, when would you start treatment? And he said, Thursday. (laughs) I think at the time it was Tuesday. So I, I knew that it was, they were fairly concerned. My lump ended up being, it was five centimeters and it was triple negative breast cancer, which is known to be very aggressive. And so they were that's really- a big wanting, lump. Yeah, it was a big For lump. For people, <laughs> golf ball size. I mean, that's, that's a pretty significant lump. Yeah. So wow. um, they wanted to get started right away. But then of course you've got my OB team that's saying, you know, really before 35 weeks, we're not sure how well the baby will do. So we ended up, um, I had him, I believe it was 35 weeks and four days. Um, He did end up having to go to the NICU for some problems with his lungs. He was there for eight days. And um, the same day that he got out, I started chemo. It was a lot. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So why chemo first versus surgery? Can you walk us through that? So at the time, they were thinking that I might not need a mastectomy, that um, even though the lump was sizable, 
um, the, the opinion of my care team was that if they could get the lump shrunk enough that they could get it all out with clear margins, that I wouldn't need a mastectomy. Um, and it turned out the lump did respond very, very well to chemo. It was basically gone at the time. But during one of my other checkups before surgery happened, they discovered another spot that they thought might be a second, um, I don't remember what they call it, but a second spot. And since they thought they had found another spot where it had spread, they went ahead and took the whole breast. So when I finally got breast, the whole time. time. Yep. So talk to us about the mastectomy. And it was just the one breast? I ended up just deciding to go with the one breast. And I'm sure everybody uh, struggles with that decision about what you do. And ultimately, I just thought, this is the one that has the problem. Uh, I'll keep the other one and, and not cut off a, another body part that's potentially healthy. I think I had kind of learned, <laughs> learned my lesson about just... Um, taken everything to the limit as far as, you know, being able to guard against negative things that'll happen in the future. Um, and so I thought, yeah, there's a chance, I guess, if I still have a breast on the other side, the cancer could come back, but you know, I could also get cancer anyplace else. Um, so I'm just gonna take the one, feel good about it. How much chemo are we talking about over what period of time? And what was that like for you? So I started chemo, it would have been at the end of May and uh chemo went all the way through october 14th um mm. so it was a lot of chemo and i think that was one of the big things that i didn't realize i never really thought much about cancer as i said because i expected i wouldn't have it and no one i knew had it <laughs> but um i just didn't realize what a slog it was mm. and that you know when when you talk about chemo um you always you know your hair falls out and you're sick to your stomach but I didn't really realize just how how absolutely just all-encompassing, energy-sapping. You know, I tell the story. I remember sitting on the couch one time thinking, I bet this is what it feels like right before you die. And you just think, like, to, to be, I mean, you see, obviously, I'm sort of a, a vital person, and I've been that way my whole life. And to have your energy just sapped like that was really really shocking to me. I ended up getting really sick also at the end of chemo. Um, I got a little cold that ended up being a, I think a week stay in the hospital because they couldn't get my fever back down because my, my um, immune system was so tanked. Did you get so, an infection from the cold? I, just it was just, you know, some sort of little nothing, you know, sniffles that normally wouldn't do much, but uh, just with as sapped as I was, uh, I was in the hospital a long time. And I, it, it, it's so funny where your your brain goes because I was actually angry because my mastectomy was scheduled, and I was afraid the date was going to have to be pushed. And I just wanted it done, but I was afraid the date was going to have to be pushed because I was in the hospital. But we ended up being able to do it. <laughs> Hooray! Okay, and around October, November of that year. Yeah, it was the beginning of November that I had it. And um, that was rough. It, you know, it, it just, I never felt like I was that vain of a person. But I think just the idea of losing your hair, of losing, you know, a breast, you just do sort of feel ugly. And, you know, that on top of, you know, obviously, the the, the struggles with your mortality and all that sort of thing, it was it was hard. I didn't ever think I cared about my breasts, but when 
one was going to be gone. That was hard. What did you decide to do? Did you opt for a reconstruction? So I did. I At that time, they knew I was going to have radiation. And so they put in an expander um, to basically make space for one later, um, for an implant later. My plan had been um, to do a single implant, which I did. Um, and I was sort of in between. I thought maybe to do an implant, maybe to do deep flap, which is where they take uh, tissue from your stomach and use that to make a breast. I had been sort of on the fence, but they said if I got the expander, I could decide later what I wanted to do. Okay. So I got the expander um, put in at uh, the time of my mastectomy. Then ended up, I did get the implant uh, after radiation and all that was done. This was just about a year later. Um, and now I have had deep flap. <laughs> okay. All right. So we got to go back. <laughs> I have lots of reconstruction stories. <laughs> oh. Well, what I think is so interesting in particular about breast cancer is every woman's experience is different mm -hmm. even if you have the exact same type yeah the choices are different mm -hmm. and the choices are much more nuanced yes. than people realize mm -hmm. i mean i'm constantly learning about about different ways you know that mm -hmm. the different choices you can make so for sure tell us about radiation radiation really ended up being the easiest part um, for me. I was a little tired from it. The The only thing that was hard about it, I had 25 rounds of radiation. And one thing that I didn't realize about that was that you have to go basically every day. Um, I was really fortunate um, when I was diagnosed, I was living in Maryland, just outside of DC. I was able to get a, a an appointment, my appointments were all at a place that was maybe 10 minutes from my house. And so it really, the, the toughest thing was that, you know, I had these two kids, um, but I babies. was able- Babies, yeah. babies, <laughs> okay. <laughs> they weren't really, in school. <laughs> yeah, they were tiny. They were two and uh, well, one had just turned three at the time and one was still less than a year old. Um, but I was super fortunate. I actually had a lady with an in-home in daycare that lived across the street from me. So she would let me just drop them off. They'd stay for an hour while I ran over and got zapped. And uh, yeah, it, it made it super easy. You know, not many people can say radiation was the easiest part. I know, isn't that silly? But when you think about, I mean, chemo was miserable and the surgery is just, I, it, I mean, it was, it was painful. Um, but just emotionally painful. But by radiation, I think the hardest thing about it was it just, I was so ready to be done. You know, you just had this, this slog at this point, you know, when I started radiation, it, it was eight months in or something. And it's just like, oh, <laughs> this is going to be over. <laughs> so you, you have the expander in, mm -hmm. finish radiation. Um, talk to us about uh, the implant and what went on from there. So I ended up... Um, I did a lot more research about the deep flap. That was the surgery that I thought I wanted. Um, I loved the idea of having my own tissue, of not having to worry about, you know, I, I, as I said, I was young, I was still less than 40, and they basically guarantee you that the implant at some point is gonna fail, so you're gonna have to go in and, and get it swapped out. And that surgery is, is not hard, um, but it still was going to be you're committing to a lifetime of getting this swap 
Um, but in the end, the deep flap, um, for those that don't know about this surgery, it's, it's a mandatory stay in intensive care. They, um, they take uh, tissue from your stomach that is living and reconnect all the blood vessels and everything up um, where your breast is. And so it's a very, very um, difficult surgery. It's, it's difficult in terms of recovery time. You can't stand up straight. Um, right after it's done because your, your stomach area is so much smaller. It's just very daunting. And whereas the surgery that I would need for swapping the expander out for a breast implant was, you know, nothing by comparison. It was an easy recovery. And so I ended up at the time, the boys were still small. I think they were four and two. And I just said, I don't want weeks and weeks of recovery. I, I just do the swap. So that was what I ended up deciding to do. I was fine with the implant. Um, I probably would have stayed with that, except that I ended up developing lymphedema. <laughs> so see here, I have my, my sleeve on. Um, oh, show us again for the people oh. who can't see it. Okay, so talk to us about lymphedema. So lymphedema is uh, something that a lot of breast cancer patients will get. Um, when they remove lymph nodes as a part of your um, your staging and that sort of thing, um, when they're first uh, doing, and, and as part of the mastectomy, they take lymph nodes out because sometimes the lymph nodes will catch the cancer cells and that helps them discover if the cancer might have spread to other parts of your body. But when they remove the lymph nodes, turns out you need those. <laughs> And um, they, uh, for a lot of patients, you will start, um, the lymph then doesn't have its, its sort of factory that processes it once they take the nodes away. So lymph can connect, can collect in the limb there. And so that's what's happened to me. My um, left arm swells up a little bit from time to time. And I had noticed that this was getting worse. Again, I'm After thinking, the implant. This was um, after the implant, after I, I actually noticed the lymphedema started to get bad. I went to, um, to Machu Picchu, which is one of my bucket list oh, things. Oh, wow. Hiked on the Inca Trail, which is at high altitude um, for, you know, a long period of time. Much of Peru is high in the mountains. And um, after that, I noticed my arm was not good. And just over the, the year or two that followed, it just got worse. And I thought, you know, is there anything they can do about this? Turns out that there was a doctor not far from me that does lymph node transplants. And um, he would take lymph nodes from your groin, move those up to your armpit where they had been removed. He could give me a deep flap at the same time <laughs> because it's the same kind of surgery, um, reconnecting the vascular tissue and that sort of thing. So I decided at that time, the boys were a little bit older. Um, this was actually in 2019. You know, I could take a little bit more time off. And so I just decided to go for it. So now I have a deep flat breast. <laughs> okay, so much. <laughs> All right, okay, it's to process. Okay, so you get the implant out. Mm -hmm. you, got, you got your own tissue. Yep. Then... Um, Get lymph nodes. I've never heard of this, by the way. Like I this know. lymph node. I've never heard of this. So it's it takes very them out of your groin. Mm -hmm. Put them. But do, doesn't that put you at risk for lymphedema in the groin area? I mean, doesn't it do? So 
They claim that it does not, because I thought the same thing. Um, I guess you have a lot more in your groin, and they only take, like, I had 10 removed from um, my armpit, and I think they only put five back. It's they one balanced of those kind you of out. They so balanced now. me out a little better. <laughs> so it's um, it's not a hundred percent better. It's not like it was before, but it's definitely much more manageable. I don't have to wear my sleeve all the time. I had been getting something called cellulitis, where the lymph um, causes your arm to kind of get infected. It gets real red and hot, and that can land you in the hospital if you don't get antibiotics right away. And so I really feel good about about that decision that it's made it better enough that it's not um, it's not going to land me in the hospital. I don't think. How often does that flare up now? Because today podcast listeners can't see you, but our workshop um, people can. You have the sleeve on. Mm-hmm. So does it flare up? For example, if you eat certain foods, um, I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, so it's um, it's a little bit puffy all the time. It definitely gets worse um, with lifestyle things. So I think if I never drank wine, if I never had gluten, <laughs> you know, like yep. there's a thing, I, I'm not willing to make the lifestyle changes that would be required to eradicate it. I think I probably could. I know I exercise most mornings. And that definitely has made a huge difference in just um, keeping the size down. A lot of people have asked me, you know, what sort of changes have you made, you know, since you had cancer? And I always say I think I've gotten less healthy <laughs> since I had cancer. It just sort of, uh, you know, it woke me up to that, you know, life might not be as long as I think. And if I want a glass of wine, I'm going to have one. <laughs> well, and it sounds like to me. I forget the exact word you used, but you were so rigid before, right? Yeah. You were so extreme before, mm-hmm. and it didn't prevent cancer. Exactly. Yeah. So you might as well enjoy it. <laughs> um, when we used to have in-person, real-life conferences, whenever I would go to a conference, a friend of mine who usually went with me and would work the booth with me always teased me because day two of the conference, my feet would be puffy because it didn't <laughs> matter what I ate – it wasn't food I was used to. Yeah. It had a lot more salt, a mm-hmm. lot more spices. I tend to eat really blandly at home. Yeah. And it just, it did not matter what I did or mm-hmm. what I ate. Always my feet were like, you know, the marshmallow man, whatever, yeah. stay puff, whatever, <laughs> a marshmallow man. And so I always had to sort of plan for, okay, I need to put the feet up on the wall for 15 minutes before falling asleep just right. to get them to look normal again and to fit into shoes the next day. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's funny, but I, I'm just going to chalk that up to age. So <laughs> I don't have any excuse. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, what a story. And yeah. you have such an amazing spirit. Um, Thank you. Really comes through. What was your worst moment throughout this entire journey? I, I've mentioned a couple of the really low points. The, the moment of diagnosis was was a low point. Just that sort of just knowing that everything was going to change. You know, I I have kept, I still have my to-do list from the day before I was diagnosed because it was so just like, 
lot, you had all these things. It was, you know, what am I going to do? Who's going to stay with uh, Cameron when Carson's being born? You know, it, it, I need to do this. I, this needs to be cleaned. I need to make my freezer meals. And then that everything can just change so quickly to, um, you know, and not according to the plan was really, really daunting. And, and that moment that I talked about where I was, you know, sitting on the couch and just thinking, I feel like I could die any minute. And this, I, I'm that close. It just, you felt so just sick. And uh, I'm not a person who's really like a, you know, wallow in it whenever I've got a, a cold or the flu or anything. And it just, you, you didn't have a choice. And I didn't like being a sick person. <laughs> so that was pretty low. Did you ever tell anyone about that moment that on the couch when you felt like you uh, just wanted to die? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've talked about it, but yeah, it just, uh, it, it, and it wasn't even necessarily that I wanted to die. It just, it felt like how, how much more can my body take and still hold out? You know, yeah. I had gotten blood transfusions and, you know, all this kind of stuff to try to perk me up. And, uh, you know, I had the new Lasta that you get to sort of jumpstart your immune system, but it was just, it's just sick. And I didn't like being yeah. sick. Yeah. What was your best moment? Best moment is easy. I, um, I ended up, I had my, my birthday is June 19th. And so shortly after I had started chemo, um, I had a birthday and I ended up separately. One of my very best friends who lived about three hours away and my brother who lived about a three hour flight away, both decided to surprise me for my birthday. And Aww. each of them had basically like set it up. My parents were staying with us to help uh, care for the boys. My brother had told my parents that he was coming and my best friend had told my uh, husband that she was coming, but like everybody didn't know that they were both coming and they ended up just the door opened and um and my friend Megan walked in and then like half an hour later my brother walked in and it just it, it was such a big surprise and just it, so needed at that time my spirits were pretty low and it just it was fun we ended up just just having a really nice hangout and it felt sort of normal for a minute so that was oh. cool I love that. Yeah. I love that. I love asking that question because I think a lot of people assume, well, the best moment is when you heard you were cancer free, but that's not <laughs> always necessarily true. And um, I can see how having the people you love be there at the same yeah. time for your birthday would make you feel normal. Again. It was really cool. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's one thing that I, um, that I wanted to, to point out too. I mean, I think a lot of people have been on this, this cancer journey now that listen to this podcast probably. But one thing that surprised me was that I never have gotten like it all clear. You're cancer free. If my husband asked me, cause I, this week I celebrated my anniversary of diagnosis and I always celebrate that as the anniversary. And he said one time, how come you don't celebrate like the end of it? And I said, well, it, it didn't ever really end. You know, I, I finished chemo and that was a day and I had my surgery and that was a day and I finished radiation and that was something else. What I didn't realize before I had cancer was that it, it keeps going. I'm currently classified as no evidence of disease, disease. and uh, that's great. 
Um, and I assume good news until I hear different, but you know, it's, it's, it's never necessarily over in that way that like you're cured. And I always thought you had a disease and then your disease was cured, but that's not necessarily the case with, um, with cancer. So. Yeah. Many doctors are extremely reluctant to use the word cured. Mm -hmm. They might, they might use the word remission, but they are very reluctant because depending on the type of cancer, it it often comes back. Mm -hmm. What is the one thing you wish you had known at the beginning of your cancer journey? I think maybe just that, that it was all going to be okay in the end. I, I think um, I have a, a post on my blog that I wrote, um, what I wish I could have told myself on the worst day of my life. And, and that's, that's a lot of it is just that, you know, you would feel good again. You would be happy again. You're going to do some of the things that are on your, your list of things to do still. And, um, you know, that it's, it's not curtains for you because you got this diagnosis. <laughs> it's not <laughs> curtains. <laughs> They were so um, rushed with everything. And so, um, you know, it, it just, it was so serious. Yeah, to, to just know that this is a chapter and it's a chapter in your story that makes your story more interesting and it's going to suck, but it's going to turn out fine. I, obviously, not everybody gets the same ending that I got. It would have helped me to know that. And also to know just how much it was going to be. I, I've said that already that I just, I thought, you know. You get, you get medicine for a month or two and then you're better. And not that years later, I would still be having surgeries related to breast cancer. So might've been nice to have a heads up. (laughs) So two things, make sure you give us a link to that blog post. I will. I think a lot of people will benefit from reading it. I didn't mean to laugh so hard that I coughed, (laughs) (laughs) but I love euphemisms for death. And it's something I talk about a lot. I just, curtains is one I had never even thought of. Well, my background is in theater, so. uh, There you go. Okay. (laughs) You mentioned before that you were living in Maryland at the time of your diagnosis. Are you living somewhere else now? Yes. So, um, so sort of related to the cancer, sort of not. Um, I was always sort of a, you know, suck the marrow out of life kind of person. Um, It's gotten worse. (laughs) And so my husband and I back in uh, 2019, uh, he had left the job that he was in. I was freelancing and homeschooling the kids. And um, we just decided, what are we doing in Maryland? Like, we don't have family that lives here. We've gone there for his job. So we decided to get rid of everything that we owned and travel as a family for a while, um, which we did. We spent uh, three months in Spain and three months in the Dominican Republic, and then COVID hit. (laughs) So we were very fortunate that my husband was offered a full-time job in Las Vegas two months before, um, it would have been January of 2020. And so we had been planning to come to Vegas anyway, and we ended up getting out of the Dominican Republic like three days before they closed the border. (laughs) Wow. So yeah, so now I'm in Vegas. Like it here wow. so far, we've been here about a year, um, but obviously it was a year mostly quarantined. So, looking forward to exploring a little bit more now that things have lifted a bit. Well, if you ever want to have a really cool experience, um, the Vegas Marathon 
is Ooh. awesome because it starts, of course, very early. Yeah. But the first six miles um, are all down the strip. They close the strip. Oh, wow. And it's the strip at sun sunrise, which you almost never see. Yeah. And it's just, it feels very surreal. And I've done the marathon, the half marathon, long time ago. But um, wow. it was always so neat um, to see Vegas quiet. Yes. And I think that's the only time except for COVID where they <laughs> completely just shut down the strip and for that for the whole morning of the marathon. And the rest of it now, I will say, the rest of it is horrible. The rest <laughs> of it is just flat and desert and boring. But <laughs> the first six miles. So you're are saying boring. I should do the half if do I do the half. Yes. Do the half. Yes. That's what I would say. Do the half. Um, but yeah, it's, I've done a lot of marathons and it was one of my favorites just because of that. It's just such a different experience seeing it the strip. It is wild. We foot. took, well, speaking of that, we took the kids, um, last, I guess it would have been last April. The strip was shut down. I mean, they had policemen stationed. You weren't even supposed to be walking around there much and uh they were in front of all the casinos and everything to protect everything but we did take the boys down and we got pictures of them standing on some of the bridges that overlook uh, and just there's not even a car and we kept saying to them like you don't understand it never looks like this. it's crazy right <laughs> yeah it was cool crazy well, now I'm really, really curious given what you've gone through and you've lived in different places and um I mean, in Spain and the Dominican Republic are so different. Um, if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? Okay, so that one was easy for me. Um, I saw an integrative doctor uh, at when I was in the radiation phase of my treatment, and I just loved it because what I found, I really liked my oncologist. I thought he was terrific. Um, I had total confidence in him. I would ask questions about things like, I hear acupuncture helps with nausea. And he would say, sure. it's not going to hurt you. If you want to throw your money away on that, go ahead. I went to see a naturopath because I was sort of concerned about the effect that, you know, chemo was having on my body. And, and after I finished it, I, I wanted to go to somebody who would help me kind of um, regain my health. And she was so critical about chemotherapy and asking me why I was going to have radiation and all these sorts of things. And, and I just felt like both ends of that, I was getting criticism because I wanted everything cared for. I wanted to use every treatment that we had available. And uh, I ended up finding an integrative oncologist who, um, what her other part of her job was as a radiation oncologist but she had gone and gotten other certification, did all of her research in um, natural medicine along with um, less natural medicine. <laughs> natural medicine. <laughs> East or East, East, West, Western right? medicine, yeah. yeah. And um, so she sat down with me. First of all, we would, our appointments would be an hour or two just sitting and talking. Uh, she had me uh, do the 23andMe genetic test get all of the raw data and then we put it in some sort of a program that that called out all of the information from it so then she was able to say you know you have trouble methylating b vitamins and so this is the vitamin that you need in order to help your body do that process better and 
you don't process heavy metals well. So you need to be extra careful with um, fish that are high in mercury and, and it sort of tailor a plan for me. And uh, so that I know when I'm taking a vitamin that it's actually something that I need. I know if I'm eating something that it's actually something that's healthy for me or not healthy for me. Or I discovered, you know, I was sensitive to dairy and I hadn't ever known that that was a thing. And, and I remember thinking as I went through it, everybody should have care like this. Everybody should have a doctor that will talk to them for two hours and not give them sort of generic advice that applies to everybody on the planet, but specific advice as far as what's good for you. And so I'm so grateful that I had that. It was another one of kind of the silver linings of cancer treatment. I got to know my body a little bit better that way. I love that. And we have heard that so many times, <laughs> so yeah. many times. And I agree. I mean, there's, it doesn't help to be critical, you know, whether you're, you know, a, a Western medicine trained oncologist or mm -hmm. an Eastern medicine trained chiropractor, whatever. It doesn't right. help to be critical. Mm -hmm. It really makes a big difference to be open-minded, but we've heard that a lot that yeah. you know, having that integrative care really made a difference for so many people. Sure. And I love what you said about vitamins because you're right. It's, it's very generic, you know, mm -hmm. here, take this vitamin because you're this age and right. you're female and you're missing this X, yeah. Y, and Z. But I know that I've been experimenting with different vitamins lately and I'm like, didn't help me, you know, mm -hmm. glad it helped a lot of people, sure. but, you know, got a thousand four and five star reviews, but <laughs> yeah, but your body is your body. It's a, right. you know, sample size of one. So yeah. Oh, that's good. I like that. Sample size of one. Um, all right, Anissa, are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? All right, we'll see. <laughs> now I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. See, I had you pegged for mountains because of, of your bucket list. And I thought, well, maybe desert because she lives there now. Maybe not. But that was actually a hard one because I was like it? them all. Um, I love being in the mountains, love hiking. Um, but I feel, I thought about like, if I had to pick one every day for the rest of my life, I think I would pick the beach. Yeah. 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 Me too. Me too. Even though the sun hates me, but yes, I would. <laughs> beach boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones. It's Beatles. What is one word that best describes you? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe... I think maybe curious. I like that I, one. I like it too. <laughs> Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? I love the song Fake Plastic Trees by Radiohead. That's my favorite song. I used to listen to it on repeat in my convertible back when I was in my 20s. And uh... <laughs> Okay, I have to go listen to it now. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> of earlier, I was thinking Rage Against the Machine. Or, yeah. you know, but, but yeah, okay. All right. Radiohead. I know who Radiohead is, but, um, all right. I'm thinking actually I need to put links to like every person's favorite song. You, you know what I mean? a playlist. I know. Yeah. That would be cool. Uh, before you die, what is the last meal you want to eat? Deep dish pizza. Yum. Yeah. Last person you want to see? My kids. And the last words you will speak? Uh, I hope it's, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, and aside from cancer you what is one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers and I 
definitely want you to talk about that amazing planner you have. Okay. So I have a couple. Okay. Um, the one book that I recommend to everybody, um, and I think we should read, even if we're not uh, cancer patients, is one called Radical Remission by uh, Dr. Kelly Turner. Yes. The best book. I read that. I tell people I read that book like the Bible when I was in treatment. It was just, um, so for those of you that don't know it, it's um, researcher. She was not a medical doctor. She's a a PhD kind of doctor. She's PhD. Um, Yep. And she heard a story about someone who had, you know, basically been sent home to die by their doctors, you know, terminal cancer and uh, ended up beating it. And she said, I'd never heard a story like that before. Um, so then I started looking and I found thousands of stories like this, um, but nobody talks about them. And so she studied all of these different um, these different people that, that beat cancer despite the odds and found nine pillars that they followed. Not everybody did all nine, but everybody did one of the nine uh, at least. And so it was things like changing your nutrition and changing your outlook on life and, and connecting with your community. It's just, it's a great book. It's, it's inspiring. Um, it just goes to show you that nothing is a, is a death sentence. And um, that, you know, even though we live in such a wonderful time where we know so much about medicine, we don't know everything about medicine and everybody is different. And I think we all benefit from following some, some or all of these, uh, these nine pillars. So I really, really, really recommend you get a copy of that. And um, you mentioned my planner. One of the things I found so daunting when I was in treatment was that, um, you know, it sort of felt like a quiz show every time I went to the doctor. Everybody made like they had no access to your medical history at all. Um, and which, so I, which I'm just going to add might be true if they use different EHRs. Yeah. That's part of the problem. So So you'd go and they were always asking about symptoms and were you on any new medications and um, had you had any side effects and um, if you went to see a new doctor, even one in the same system, they wanted your whole medical history again and it just, you know, you combine that with chemo brain and you're not feeling well and it was hard to keep all that information straight. So I made a, basically the planner that I wish I'd had. When I was in treatment, um, it's just a, a printable eight and a half by eleven um, planner that has places to put your doctors, places to log the symptoms that you've had, um, places to log your family history, um, even spots where you can um, can log the gifts that people will undoubtedly give you because uh, people are super generous whenever uh, you're in treatment, but, and it's mixed in. I put some of my favorite quotes that, you know, I, I had hung up on my wall and uh, on the screen of my phone and that kind of thing when I was in treatment. So I made it just to be, to be helpful to everybody. And as I said, it's, it's eight and a half by 11, but it also, um, if you are paperless as I am, it can be filled out just uh, on the screen. I, it's typable um, on a, a tablet or a computer as well. And I want to add that one of the reasons I love your planner so much, as I said before I hit record, or finally hit record, I should say, (laughs) is it's eight and a half by 11. Mm -hmm. And we really stress inside of Cancer U the importance of staying organized and having a binder Mm -hmm. and not only having digital files, but we really push hard for paper files as well. And what I love about your planner, unlike any planner I've ever seen, 
is it is eight and a half by 11. Mm -hmm. So easily you could print it out, put it in a three ring binder. And it just makes it so much more compatible mm -hmm. with all of the other documentation you're going to get. You're going to get stuff in the mail. You're going to get stuff via email, you know. And so I really love that about your planner. And I also just love that, you know, you can, you know, print multiple pages. Right. So I think uh, the way you did it is fantastic. Mm, and thank you. Yeah, no, it's great. So we will be sure to link to to your planner, your website, to Radical Remission. And can you tell people if they want to get in touch with you directly, what's the best way? So um, my blog is called Mama Goes Beyond. And you can email me at mama at mama goes beyond. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Um, my blog is primarily a, a blog for moms who want to make life more intentional, more simple and efficient and joyful. Um, but I did make a special page because I, you know, cancer becomes a part of your life. So I have um, lots of posts that were written with um, cancer patients in mind. And I collected all of those at Mama Goes Beyond slash sister dash survivors. If you want to skip all of the um, the mom stuff, <laughs> the strictly <laughs> mom stuff, um, and just read things like the posts I mentioned earlier about what I wish I could have told myself on the worst day of my life. I have um, a guide to making that binder that you talked about um, with all of your, your treatment stuff in it. Um, I even have ideas for playing with your kids while you're lying down, um, in case Aww. you are like me dealing with littles and not feeling, uh, like engaging with them, even though you want to, um, there, I collected all of those resources together. So they'll be easier for the cancer specific people to find. Oh gosh, that's wonderful. So we'll put a separate link to that as well. Great. Oh, Anissa, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.